All right, so let's get into the word of the Lord. And today we're going to be talking about the kingdom of God. We're doing a series called The Gospel of the Kingdom. And uh, today's message is going to be like a mustard seed, like a mustard seed. So Jesus gives a lot of analogies, a lot of, he likens the kingdom to a lot of different things, but he compares it to a mustard seed. And we're going to take a, a look at that today. Now, this is a simple message. This is a simple message. It's a simple gospel message. And, uh, you know, sometimes the temptation is I've, I've got to really work a lot into my notes. This has got to be well said. This has got to be you know, well organized, well presented. I, I got to preach with eloquence. That's the temptation week in and week out. But we lose sight of the fact that the simple gospel is powerful. Amen. Paul said, I fear. He says this in, in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 3. I fear, at least I spoil the simplicity which is in Christ. It's a simple thing. The gospel is simple. The Bible says that it's so simple that a wayfaring man can find it. It's a simple, simple message. I, I was thinking about this. Let me pull this back up. Going, I got my Bible on my phone this morning. But uh, I, w- I want to read this. Is it all right if we do this? This is not in your notes. This is just uh, something I want to do. The Bible, the Bible instructs, Paul instructs Timothy, read the Scriptures. Read the Scriptures. Give attention to reading the Scriptures. And we don't do that a lot in church. I want to take just a minute. Is that right? If I can just read a chapter of Scripture out loud. And it really does. It speaks to the simplicity of the gospel, but also to the wisdom of God to us who are mature believers. We, we don't see that a lot of times in this passage, but I want to read it. In 1 Corinthians chapter 2, Paul says, I, brethren, when I came to you, I did not come with excellence of speech or of wisdom declaring to you the testimony of God. For I determined not to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I was with you in weakness in fear, and in much trembling. And my speech and my preaching were not with persuasive words of human wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, that your faith should not stand in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. So that's the simplicity of the gospel. Simplicity of the gospel. The gospel should be preached under the power of the Holy Spirit. And we shouldn't get lifted up. If we think we've got it going on in our flesh and we can, we're, we're the uh, perfect preacher, watch out. Whoa. He said, I was with you in weakness, in fear, and much trembling. That was his approach to the pulpit. And his, he said, I, it was a simple message. Jesus Christ and him crucified. I determined not to do anything except Jesus Christ and him crucified. Then he moves on and he begins to address the mature. He says this, however, we speak wisdom among those who are mature. And I want to say this, there's a simple message. And I try, I try that. I try to put the simple message of the gospel in every message that is preached. But I also want to preach the wisdom of God. There, there needs to be depth to our preaching, right? And I, I learned this preaching to junior high kids. Don't preach down to them. Preach. Just preach the word. Preach the word. Every principle, every precept, no matter how complex it might seem, just preach it, just declare it. And I remember doing that with, uh, taking that approach, and I remember every year we'd have new kids come and graduate up, up to the junior high class, and the first week they'd, they'd have big bug eyes. But after a while, they begin to grasp it. It takes time. It takes time. I remember being a freshman in Bible college going into Van Gill's class and I didn't understand anything, I promise you, for at least three weeks. I didn't understand anything he taught. Then he did a summary of everything and put a bow on it, and it all made sense. And that's the way it is. It's a simple message. There are some, some complexities to it, but just get a hold of what you can. Glean that. Look, he says, however, we speak wisdom among those who are mature, yet not the wisdom of this age, nor of the rulers of this age who are coming to nothing. But we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery the hidden wisdom which God ordained before the ages for glory, for our glory, which none of the rulers of this age knew. For had they known, 
they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But as it is written, I have has not seen nor ear heard nor have, have entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those who love him. But God has revealed them to us through his spirit. For the spirit searches all things, yes, the deep things of God. For what man knows the things of man except the spirit of man which is in him? Even so, no one knows the things of God except the spirit of God. Now we receive not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God. We might know the things that have been freely given to us by God. And here's another concept we need to understand and grasp. We may not always be understanding things in our mind when the word of God is being declared, but our spirit is discerning. And those things get embedded down into our spirit, and with time they mature and bear, bear fruit. Does that make sense? The things that we're preaching are not humanly discerned. They are discerned through the spirit of God. Amen? They're discerned through the Spirit of God. These things, in verse 13, we also speak not in the words which man's wisdom teaches, but which the Holy Spirit teaches, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. But the natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, nor can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. But he who is spiritual judges all things, yet he himself is rightly judged by no one. For who has known the mind of the Lord, that he may be instructed, but we have the mind of Christ. Let's, let's pray. Put your hand on your head. Father, in the name of Jesus, I thank you that we have the mind of Christ. I thank you for the Holy Spirit that resides on the inside of us as believers. Father, I pray that as the word of God is declared today, Lord God, that they would be received into our spirits. Father, we, we, we ask, Lord, that you would open the eyes of our understanding. Help us to understand what we cannot understand. Help us to perceive the hidden mysteries of God, things lying below the surface, beyond our human capacity to grasp. Father, I pray that you would help us, Lord, to understand your word, to apply it to our lives, that we might grow. These things are there for our glory, Lord, that the glory of Jesus would be manifest in us. Father, help us in the mighty name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. So, a simple message. I've been reading through the Gospels. Over the last couple of weeks, I've read through Matthew, Mark, and Luke, getting ready to start into John. And I'm, I'm looking for, I'm underlining, just highlighting this thing of the Gospel. You know, the, over 50 times, the Gospel of the Kingdom is mentioned. The Gospel of the Kingdom is mentioned 50 times, or, or more possibly, in, in the Gospel of Matthew alone. The gospel of the kingdom. It was the message of Jesus. It's the message that Jesus preached. And I've just been going through this as a, as a preacher. I've been preaching for uh, 25, 26 years now. But I, I, I'm just examining. I'm taking stock. Like, what do I want to preach? What, or more importantly, what does God want me to preach? What's the message God wants us as ministers of the gospel to declare? And I, I'm, I'm, I'm taking stock and trying to bring it back to this, what message did Jesus declare? What message were the apostles declaring? They were declaring the message of the gospel of the kingdom of Jesus Christ. That's the message they were declaring, right? In, in Matthew chapter 13, there are six different things that Jesus likens the kingdom to. There are, and, and I'm going to give you several more than that, that are in, in the gospel of Matthew. But just in chapter 13, he talks about the kingdom is like a sower, he says it's like a mustard seed. He says it's like leaven. It's like a treasure. It's like a merchant. It's like a dragnet. In chapter 20, verse 1, it says that it's like a landowner. In 22, verse 1, it says he's like a king. In 25, verse 1, it says it's like virgins. And, and in chapter 25, verse 14, it's likened unto a traveling man. Now, the good news is I'm not going to preach all of those Likenesses, all of those parallels. I want to focus on one today, the mustard seed. So grab your Bible, open it up to Matthew 13. And it's a, it's a short parable, it's a short story. Amongst many others, there are, like I said, six other uh, similitudes that Jesus uses comparing the kingdom of God to things in this 13th chapter, but we're just going to look at the one. 
And it's, it's found in 31 and 32. Matthew 13, 31 and 32. Another parable he put forth to them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed, which a man took and sowed in his field, which indeed is the least of all the seeds, but when it is grown, it is greater than the herbs and becomes a tree, so that the birds of the air come and nest in its branches. The summary of it is this, small seeds, small seeds sown produces great things in God's kingdom. The smallest of seeds sown produce great things in the kingdom of God. Amen? I'll save you the botany lesson. I studied trying to figure out what is this. There's, there's dispute over what this um, plant is because the mustard seed, when it grows, is not the biggest tree. So there's debate. People actually tried to undermine the integrity of Jesus' teaching using botany. And they miss the great story. If you would see, I could put right there in the palm of my hand 100 mustard seed. And it would just be, a, a, those 100 seeds would just be a small speck in the palm of my hand. You know, they don't grow to be hundreds of feet tall. Mo most of these trees, they're, they're, they, 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 they're these shrubs that, that bloom up and they grow to be about six feet tall. I'll save you all of the Latin names for all these different varieties of trees that they could possibly liken it to. It's just, just know this, it's a tiny, teeny little seed. And when it's sown, it springs up, and these bushes are probably about six foot tall. And they, they, and Israel is a very arid land in many places, but these seeds have been strewn all over the, the, the countryside. And, and these types of shrubs have literally overtaken the landscape of that wilderness. That's the picture. That the mustard seed, though it's small, it has the potential to overtake the landscape. And it's a picture for us of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It may seem small and insignificant. However, it is germinating into something of greatness. That's the story that Jesus is painting here. That's the picture that Jesus is trying to get across to us. That this little tiny seed of the mustard seed is like the gospel. The word of God, the message about Jesus, is an incorruptible seed. It's an incorruptible seed. First Peter chapter two, verse twenty-three, chapter one, verse twenty-three talks about it. it. Says we have been born again, not of corruptible seed, but of the incorruptible seed through the word of God, which lives and abides forever. The seed of God's word is an incorruptible seed. My friend Roland Ashby, he's a missionary who's worked down in Reynosa, Mexico for 30 years. He went 30 years ago and he began to do outreach in the trash heaps of Mexico. There is literally this village there in Reynosa that the people build their homes out of these cardboard boxes, whatever they can find out of that trash heap. They make their living there on the trash heap and they also collect all of their food out of the trash heap. And he went 30 years ago to start a ministry there. And today they're building, they, they, they take several teams of churches down there every year. And they have literally built an entire village of homes. Built out of wood frame, timber, with electricity, with water. They built homes for these folks. But uh, Roland tells this story about this apple seed that fell down into this trash heap. And guess what happened? Sprung up an apple tree. See, that's the word of God. You, you could sow it even into the trash heap, and ultimately it's going to spring up and bear fruit. Amen? How many of you know that when we send God's word out, it doesn't come back void, but it accomplishes the purpose for which it is sent? 
Church, we need a greater faith in this gospel that we preach. This gospel works. I'm evidence this gospel that I'm preaching today works. You are evidence that this gospel works. Josh, who is sitting here on the fourth row back, who Scott celebrated one year of sobriety this week, and Josh is celebrating that. Look, the gospel is working in Josh's life. This gospel works, and if we will be seed dispensers, we will reap a harvest. We'll see a, a mighty forest of mustard trees springing up all over the wilderness if we'll just be faithful to sow this incorruptible seed of the word of God. What is this gospel that we preach? Let me, let me uh, do it this way by saying what it's not. Here's an excerpt you've heard about the message that I preached over in St. Louis a couple of weeks ago. Here's a small excerpt from that message. Here's the gospel that many people in America today are preaching. The gospel of condemnation. How many of you have ever been to the church with the angry preacher? And you're all going to hell no matter what. It's the gospel of condemnation, right? Didn't Jesus say, don't think that I came into this world to condemn the world? They are already condemned. Like we, every sinner already bears, the, they, they feel the full weight of the guilt and shame of their sin. We don't have to condemn and beat up. They already, listen, no, it is a message of liberation. It's a message, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to declare the breaking of the chains and the opening of the door to those who are in prison. Sin is a prison and we have a message to proclaim, which is liberation to the sinner. Freedom for the captive. That's the message. It's not a message of condemnation. I didn't come to condemn. I've come that they might have life. That's the message of the gospel. Or how about the gospel of expose? Like, let's expose everything that the world is doing. Let's point out how dark it is out there. Right? Let's talk about what's going on in culture. Let's talk about this community, that community, this uh, television network or whatever, right? You know, the Bible instructs us, it says, do not even talk about the foolish things of darkness. That is not, it, it says it's shameful for us, the children of light, to go there. That's what the Bible instructs us as believers. We, we have a message not of exposing. The light has the effect of doing that. We are here not to, to declare what's wicked in the, the kingdom of darkness. We're here to declare a kingdom of light. That's what we're here for. The light will expose the darkness, right? When you preach the gospel, it's like going into the old abandoned house when you flick the lights on and all the roaches scramble. The light shines, the, it, it, it exposes, right? We're not here to point out people's sins. We're here to declare the righteousness of King Jesus. That's a hopeful message. Amen? And, and by the way, it's not a message of condemnation. Condemnation makes us feel like uh, you're, you, it, basically you're a sinner and you can't do anything about it. You're, you're a failure. Anybody ever felt preaching like that? Right? You're, you'll never be good enough. And the reality is you're right. In and of ourselves, we won't be. But the hope that we have is that we are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. And in there, there's a powerful conviction that says, you know what? Through Christ, I can overcome. Amen? How about the gospel of politics? It's a very popular message today. Why in the world would I preach a man when I can preach the man, Christ Jesus? Didn't we just read in, in Matthew chapter 12, 21, that he is the hope of the nations? He's the message that we have to declare. Why in the world would I preach par party politics when I can preach the gospel of the kingdom? Let this be the final word. Jesus is not coming to take sides. He's not liberal or conservative. He's not Democrat or Republican. He's not coming to take sides. He is king, and he's coming to take over. I have hope in not a single man, not a single political system, not a single, single government structure. I have hope in the kingdom of God and Jesus, and that is the message that God's given us to declare. They tried to force Jesus into political 
messages. What did he say? No, my kingdom is not of this world. If it were, I would tell my disciples to pick their guns up and take over. And this is going to, as we, as we move forward in this message, this is going to become even more important that we understand that, that we grasp this. It'll become even more clear. We're not here to preach a gospel of politics. We're not here to preach the gospel. How about this one? The gospel, so many people preaching this, the gospel of truth. We've got the market on truth. And everybody else out there is lost. Truth, 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 truth. It's so much truth without love. Right? We can beat people up with the truth. Right? Then there's the, the gospel of compromise. That's the love without the truth. Just, just love everybody. Just love everybody, love everybody, love everybody. Like God loves everybody. Just no, no call for change, no call for repentance. No, there is a call for repentance in the gospel. Right? The, 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 gospel, the, the, the call of the gospel starts with the word repentance. That's how John, who was the forerunner, started the message of the kingdom, repent. The kingdom of God is at hand. That's how Jesus started preaching the gospel of the kingdom, repent. The kingdom of God is at hand. It's not a message of compromise. It's not come as you are and you don't have to change. No, it calls us to lay down everything, to take up our cross and to follow after Jesus Christ. So we get off into all of these messages, all of these philosophies, all of these mindsets. I'm calling us as a church, let's get to the gospel of the kingdom. Let's look at what Jesus said and begin to declare the message that Jesus preached. This parable of this mustard seed is important. Because, and here's why, and this, this is kind of going back to the political thing. Why, why was it important? Why is Jesus teaching? Why does Jesus use these analogies about, about leaven, about a traveling man? Why, why does he use these parables and liken the kingdom? It's because he was illuminating to those who were hearing, those who were discerning, as we read in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, by the Spirit of God, those who were hearing, the, really hearing the words of Jesus Christ. He was teaching them through these analogies that everybody is missing this kingdom, and it's not what you think it is. That's what he's saying to them. Understand this, that when, when Jesus shows up on planet Earth, Israel is under the Roman Empire. They are oppressed. Like the Romans are taxing them. They're oppressing them. It's heavy taxation, right? Just like America. Just like about every other nation in the world today. Oppression. Right? Israel's hope and Israel's expectation is God's sending a king and he is going to deliver us from these Roman oppressors. That was their hope. That was their expectation. That's why they started trying to press Jesus into these political lines. And Jesus, as he declares this message about the mustard seed, is saying, hold on a second. It will not move. My kingdom will not move the way you think it's going to move. It's like a mustard seed sown. You don't see any activity, but before you know it, the whole countryside is covered in mustard trees. It's not going to move the way that you think it's going to move. See, God had a plan. God had a plan. From the very beginning, God had a plan. I want to take just a minute and look at that. In, in the beginning, Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, that's where it starts, right? In the beginning. Genesis means beginning. It's the origin of, of human history. Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. Look at this. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And the earth was, check this out, without form and void and darkness was upon the face of the deep. And the spirit of God, this is the, the good part, was hovering over the face of the waters. When God created, it was empty, formless, 
void and dark. That's the way that God works. In, in Greek terms, there, there's a word ex nihilio. Ex nihilio. And it means that God creates something out of nothing. What's, what the, heater, he, the writer in Hebrews meant when he said, I think it's Hebrews 11 and 3, that, that by faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God so that things which are seen were made from things which do not appear. In other words, God brought everything that we know out of nothing with his word. You ever seen the, the magician? What is he? he he's he's going to pull the rabbit out of his hat. What, what does he do? He says these words, Abra, Kadabra. It's actually Aramaic. It's Aramaic, and it comes from this verse. In the Aramaic, this, this word, Abra, Kadabra, is actually used in this verse. It means, Abra, I create, Kadabra, out of nothing. That's what, I'm going to pull the, the rabbit out of the hat. Right? That's what the magician wants you to think, that he moves the way that God moves, that he can pull something out of nothing. That's the way that God creates. God starts with things that seem insignificant, void, dark, and he brings miracles forth out of that. That's the way that God moves. That's God's nature. Right? And, and from the very beginning, we, we looked at this verse last week in Genesis chapter 1, verse 28. From the very beginning, it, God had this plan. He was going to put one man in the garden, populate the earth, and have a kingdom. That was God's plan. Genesis 1, 28, God blessed them and he said to them, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth, subdue it, have dominion over the fish of the, the sea, over the birds of the air, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. This is God's plan from the beginning. First chapter of Genesis. Be fruitful and multiply. Be fruitful and multiply. The kingdom, we said this last week, is of the nature of multiplication. We are a part of a society of increase. There is absolutely no doubt in my mind. I want this church to grow because there's no doubt in my mind that God wants his church to grow. I want to be fruitful. I want to bring in harvest. I want to be a multiplier. I want to take every resource that God gives me and multiply it. I want to bring increase to the kingdom of God. God put that in us. And you know what happens when, when that's controlled in our flesh? We use that for selfish gain. But when it's controlled by the spirit, we use it to be a life-giving force. Right? Genesis 1, 2 the earth is form, without form, it is void, and there's darkness there. But guess what's happening? The Spirit of God is hovering over the water. God's Spirit is hovering over the seed of His Word. The Holy Spirit's in, involved in this. So as the plan progresses, what, what happens? God finds a man, Abraham, and he calls him out. He said, I'm going to bless you, and through you, all the Mishpacha, all the nations, all the families of the earth are going to be blessed. God says to Abraham, this is Genesis chapter 12, verse 1, get out of your country from your family and from your father's house to the land that I'm going to show you, and I'm going to make you a great nation, and I'm going to bless you and make your name great, and you shall be a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse those who curse you, and all of the families of the earth shall be blessed. He calls Abraham, allows him to come into an old age, allows his wife, who is already barren, to come to old age, 90 and 100 years old, and he tells him these promises. I am going to give you a child. Can you imagine, Roy, the surprise and the shock and all? that Abraham experienced in this moment. See, God, God doesn't operate the way that we operate. 
His ways are far beyond our ways. Hebrews talks about this as well. He says in Hebrews 11, verse 11, it says, By faith, Sarah herself also received strength. This old lady who is barren received strength to conceive seed. And she bore a child when she was past the age because she judged him faithful who had promised. Great faith. Therefore, from one man and him as good as dead, were born as many as the stars of the sky and multitude, innumerable as the sand which is by the seashore. From this one child came a mighty nation that God would ultimately use to bless all of the nations of the earth. This is how God moves. One seed Seemingly dead, seemingly insignificant. So many came forth as like the sands of the seashore. Take a shovel of sand and see if you can count it. How many grains of sand on that beach? And God takes what seems to be dead, what seems to be insignificant, what seems to be void, what seems to be formless, and he multiplies it. This is the way that God works. God works through the unseen. I want to read a couple of passages here. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 16, it says, Therefore, do not lose heart. Anybody ever want to lose heart? I had a moment. I had a Friday night. I woke up at 4 o'clock in the morning. I wanted to lose heart. Anybody else ever get there? I'm the only one. I have my moments. Do not lose heart. You know why I'm losing heart? Because I'm looking at everything that I'm seeing. If you look at stuff, you'll get discouraged. If you're measuring, you're going to get discouraged. Do not lose heart. Even though our outward man is perishing. Haha, <laughs> wow. This thing is perishing and it is failing. Yet the inward man is being renewed day by day. For our light affliction, that big giant grizzly bear that woke me up at 4 o'clock on Saturday morning, the doom, gloom, and despair of my world is over. I'm in total ruin and despair. It is a light, momentary affliction. It's for a moment, and it's working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. Isn't that powerful? Don't lose heart. Keep going. Because that thing that you're going through is working something that has a weight of glory to it. And God is going to use what he's working in you one day. And it's going to be a powerful testimony. Jesus being glorified through your life. It's powerful. Now here's where I wanted to get to. While we do not look at the things which are seen, but at those things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporary, but the things which are not seen are eternal. This is the message that Jesus is trying to declare to those who are hearing him. I didn't, I didn't come here to overtake the Roman Empire. I, I didn't come so that the Republicans or the Democrats could be in office. I've come with something much more significant. And if you're looking at it with your eyes, you're going to miss it. If you're looking for political revolution, you're going to miss it. If you're looking for this, that, and the other, you're going to miss it. But if we look with the eyes of the Spirit, when I look at the eyes of the Spirit, I, have, I, I could care less what happens to the politics in America or in any nation on the planet. I'm looking with eyes of expectation, looking for a revival, a spiritual awakening. I believe that we can see revivals. History bears this out. Revivals can be so significant that they can transform nations. Political movements do not have that kind of power. 
They never have. They never have. Not once in human history has God moved through a political institution or government. Now, God raises up and puts down every leader, every institution, but his kingdom is above all of that. We've got to understand this. We have a more significant mission, and it's all has to do with the unseen. The passage that we read earlier, this is part of it. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 9. Listen to it again. As it is written, I has not seen nor ear heard, nor has it entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those who love him. But God has revealed them to us through his spirit. For the spirit searches all things, yes, the deep things of God. For what man knows the things of man except the spirit which... I'm sorry, except the spirit of the man which is in him. Even so, no one knows the things of God except the spirit of God. Now we have received not the spirit of this world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might know the things that have been freely given to us. These things we also speak not in words which man's wisdom teaches, but which the Holy Spirit teaches, comparing spiritual things with spiritual the natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him. Nor can he know them because they are spiritually discerned. If we're going to receive the kingdom of God, if we're going to see kingdom come to planet Earth, we have to discern it through the Spirit of God. My wife and I spent nine years in San Marcos, Texas. We started a church. We started in our living room. We were sent out by my home church from San Antonio. We moved about 30, 40 miles up the road. We started having Bible studies in our home. We did that for 14 months before we ever got into a public facility. We moved from one facility to another facility. Then we moved to a bowling alley for two years. Then we merged with another church all during this nine-year period. And I'm going to say this, it was one of the most frustrating seasons of my life. Because we, we wanted to do great things for God. And everything that we did always seemed to fail and always seemed insignificant in our perspective. We, we were told, I, I was like, the, I was growing up, I was like the poster child of my, my home church. And all the guest preachers would say, Pastor Chad and Rachel, they've got it. If anybody could do it, it's them. They're going to go build a mega church one day. All this, all this hype and fluff. I showed up and I expected people to come by hundreds. And they came by the twos, kind of like Noah's Ark. Two every six months, it felt like. But as you begin to look back and you begin to take inventory of a lot of the things that really transpired. And, and a lot of times it happens when I'm looking on social media and I see one of these college students that we pastored during that season and, and they're doing great things for, for the kingdom. I think of Vilbert and Ashley Reese, uh, worship leaders at their church, Res Resurrection Baptist Church in San Antonio, Texas, worship leaders there today. I think of, of, of Destiny, a young lady named Destiny. I think of uh, Marcos Gutierrez. I think of all of these young people. I think of Derek Hammonds. It was a, a young man that came to us. He was, he was uh, only 18 years old. He was already in his sophomore year. He was going to graduate before he was 20 years old with a, a, a degree in um, uh, physics. He was a brilliant young man. And God impacted him so deeply that he said, I, I don't want to be a, phys a physicist anymore. I, I'm going to become a teacher so that I can go on short-term mission trips. His, his life dream was to work for NASA, to be involved with the International uh, space station. This is his life dream. He put all that on the altar. He sacrificed that to the Lord because he felt a call to missions. He said, every, every summer I want to go on missions trips. So he restarted it, set him back almost two years to restart his education, to get his teaching certificate so he could become a school teacher so that he could go on mission trips. And I watched him for over a decade, every summer going to the nations on these mission trips. About two years ago, I saw a post on his Facebook page, and you know the movies, like NASA, we've got a problem, and the big control room with all those TV monitors and all that kind of stuff? So Derek posts a picture. I have no idea that this had happened, but he posts a picture, and he's in that room with all of the TV monitors, 
And he's got his laptop on a table. The room's completely empty. And he said, I'm on duty. My first night as the commander of the International Space Station. Isn't that cool? See, he, he, he laid that aside for the gospel, and then God brought it around and made his dream come true. I, I found it very interesting that with all of that old technology in the background, that massive room with all these computers, and he's running the ISS on his laptop. <laughs> Incredible. The point is this, we feel like, we feel like we're failing sometimes. We feel like what, what's moving is insignificant, it's inconsequential, when really we are, are, are doing things that have great weight of eternal matters. Nothing that you are doing for the gospel, if you're, if you're greeting at the door, if you're working as a sound tech today, if you're inviting people to church, if you're witnessing at your work, if you're trying to lead your family to know the Lord, whatever you're doing, it has great weight of significance. And it may feel like it's a futile effort, like there's nothing, but the reality is the seeds of the gospel are just germinating and they will bear fruits. They will bear fruit. We went to Chicago, Rachel and I, we took, uh, so Noah, Nathan, and Austin, three young men who are involved in our worship here. We went to a, a worship conference in, in, in Chicago. We spent two days there training, learning about everything from instruments to software to the spiritual dynamics uh, to the musicianship, all of it. We were there at this conference with these young men. And I'm sitting on, there's probably about four or 500 people there. I'm sitting on one side of this, this um, sanctuary, and I look across the sanctuary. And there's this young man, his name is Roy Farias. So I, I taught 7th, 8th, and ninth graders for three years. And Roy was one of my, my kids. Roy was orphaned. His dad had, had been a bus driver there, via bus there in San Antonio, Texas, and was involved in an accident, died. And, and so he lost his dad, and was with his, it was his uncle and aunt that brought him to church. He walked down to an altar, gave his life to the Lord. He showed up in my Sunday school class. And, and listen, I, I, every, every week I would wrap up my teaching by this. Anybody have any questions? No one ever had questions. These are junior high kids. No one ever had any questions. And then Roy shows up. And Roy, every single time, asks questions. I've got a picture of Roy. Can you put that picture up for me? There's Roy. So this was posted on social media. This is me and Roy at the conference. I went and found Roy. And this is what he said. saw one of my first pastors when I came to faith at 13 I'd ask a thousand questions every week, and he took the time uh, to teach me about how much our Savior loves, loves us. He's part of my story, and we're both still in ministry. Roy just took a job, the pastor of a church in Chicago. See, teaching Sunday school is not insignificant. I think about countless children that my mom and dad brought into their home from the time, the, the week before I graduated high school, they brought in their, their first foster child and uh, did that, I don't even know how many years, 15 plus years probably that they had foster kids into their home. And, and we would see those kids leave. The only hope that we had was that during this season that they were there, the seed of the gospel was planted in their lives. We had no idea where they were going, what their future would hold, what kind of families they would be going to. But the hope of the seed of the gospel, that's the only hope. Part of my Bible college years, I worked as a ranch hand, and two summers I worked at a store where they sold farming and ranching equipment. There was a, a gentleman there, his name was Reggie, and Reggie called me Rev, somewhat affectionately and somewhat mockingly. 
Reggie worked over with the cowboy hats. He was the guy that shaped the hats. He had the steamer and made everybody look like George Strait. I walked into that department one day and Reggie was there at his post and he said, Rev, this is, these were his words, Rev, am I going to hell because I'm a homosexual? And I said, Reggie, no one goes to hell because they're homosexuals. People go to hell because they re reject Jesus Christ and his kingdom. It's rejection of the king, the creator, and his way for our lives that ultimately determines our fate. My prayer for you, Reg, is that you'll really come to know Jesus. I would walk into the break room and there would be young ladies and different people in that break room and he would say things to me about sexuality that would just make, as a young Bible college student, make me stand there and blush. You know what I did? I kept loving him. And I kept preaching the gospel of Jesus. A couple of years later, I got a phone call. It was Reg. Reggie said, Red, I want you to know that I've come to know the Lord. I've repented of my sin. And I'm helping my pastor. And I've been telling him about you. And he wants you to come preach. So guess what? Loaded up, we went to Sealy, Texas. We preached on the 4th of July at the Cowboy Church. Pastor Sonny Rice got to minister at the church. Guess what, Reg? My dad went with me. And I saw him standing back at the back with my dad while I was preaching. And afterwards, my dad said that, Reg said, if it weren't for you, ministering to him, he would have never come to know Jesus. Every, every attempt to witness to Reggie, to minister to him, seemed futile. Let me, let me tell you about him. He was, he was raised in a Baptist home by a, a, a deacon who abused him, molested him. See, here, here's the hope of the gospel. The, and this, this is the, the, the message of this, this par parable of this mustard seed. It's that the things of the kingdom may seem insignificant, However small, however, these small things grow to be mighty things. And these mighty things, which grow from insignificance, become a refuge and a shelter to the vulnerable. I think that's, that's the analogy that we, part of the analogy that we miss out on this. It's, it's a mustard seed, the smallest seed of all, that's sown that becomes the shrub, that the birds of the air come and make their nest. They find refuge in the branches of the kingdom of God. The gospel is a message of hope. It's a message of safety, security. That if you're vulnerable, and we are, every one of us are vulnerable. If we're ragged and worn under the weight of our sins, we can lay it all down. And we can come in just as we are. And we will be accepted. This is the hope of the gospel. No matter where you are, no matter what you've been doing, no matter who you've been hanging out with. Come. If you're tired, come. This was the message of Jesus. This was the call of Jesus. If you are weary, come and find rest. Come and find refuge. Amen? God's given us valuable, valuable seed. I'm wrapping up with this verse. Let's stand together. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 10. Now may he who supplies seed to the sower... And bread for food. Supply and multiply the seed you have sown. And increase the fruits of your righteousness. We're sowers. Every one of us are called to be sowers. God will give us seed. And he will multiply it 
abundantly. We are called to be sowers. And you don't have to be eloquent. You don't have to be learned. We're studying in the book of Acts, and I, I love one of the, the uh, descriptions that was given of the, the apostles that said they were ignorant and unlearned. They weren't the sharpest tools in the shed, some of them. They were fishermen. Roughnecks. I wonder, I wonder if Jesus had come today, if he might go to the oil fields and pull some of those guys out and say, hey, come, come follow me. Jesus doesn't call the elite. You're not here because you're special. You're not here because you're handsome. You're not here because of your intelligence. We're just here because of the mercy of God. The reality is we're foolish and unlearned. And Jesus says, come, be a partner in the kingdom. I'm the Lord of the harvest. And I'm hiring, I'm looking for some, some farmers that'll go out and sow some seeds. That'll go out and bring in a harvest. Amen. Father, I thank you for the gospel. I thank you that the powerful truths break through. That they can find the cracks in the hard soil. And set roots. And growth can come forth. Father, I pray that your word would penetrate to the deep, dark, stony place of our hearts. And that it would break forth and bear much fruit in our lives. Father, I thank you for it in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. We, we live in an old building. It's got old brick, 200 plus years old, this brick. It's got lots of cracks and crevices. And somehow, I'm talking like up on the second floor in these bricks, the seeds find some way to get into those little cracks. And before you know it, there's a plant springing out of the wall. I'm going to tell you, the gospel has more power than that. Amen. Kenny, would you, would you come? We're going to pray for Kenny. Kenny's dad is preparing to go be with the Lord. 93 years old. His name is Rainy. Rainy Tucker. Come right on down here. If, you, if you're close to Kenny, why don't you come? Kenny's friends, y'all come put your hands on his back. We're going to pray for him. Listen, if you need anything, listen, I want you to, listen. The, the, the message of the gospel is a come as you are. Lay it all down message. And you know what God does? He takes our lives and he builds us and he changes us. I want to invite you, if you need to come and lay it down, if you need to come and give it to Jesus, I want to invite you to meet me down here in this altar. If you have any need from the Lord, I want you to come. We're going to pray for Kenny right now. Father, in the name of Jesus, I lift up my brother.